I hadn't heard that song in a long, long time. That was a, that was a good one. Hello. Did y'all come to hear a word from the Lord tonight? You know, if you came for something else, you're going to be disappointed, I'm pretty sure. And uh, I, I might add to that that uh, if you came for something else, you're very confused. Uh, this is not the place for uh, entertainment or anything like that. It's, it's, it's really the place where we come to, uh, to celebrate the Lord and what he's done in us. And, you know, sometimes we, we get to thinking that this is, uh, this is all about us and assembling, but this is a celebration for Jesus, not for uh, anything else. Now, I, I, I love hearing the, the music tonight because it so much coincides with what I want to preach on. And, and uh, I was reminded that we have a great Savior. Were you reminded of that when you were singing just now? Uh, he not only saved us from uh, spiritual death that awaits the unsaved, but he's kept me in my mess-ups. How about you? I said he's kept me in my mess-ups. How about you? Amen. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, he's provided for me in the time of need. How about you? Amen. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, I've been protected from many unseen attempts by Satan to bring me down in my effectiveness for God, whatever it was to begin with. But so far, I, I can tell you that uh, my, my favorite song tonight, Brother Monty, would be, Oh, What a Savior, because he sure has been with me. And uh, I, I want to just share a little bit with you tonight from also uh, two Old Testament books. One is Isaiah, the other is Jeremiah. These two men are contemporaries as far as I can tell. And both of them are prophesying during a time when Israel has been carried away. They've been there in a big struggle. And God is using both these men, uh, sometimes at the same time, to speak to Israel. And uh, he's trying to get them to see that there needs to be a renewal, a revival in their lives. And you say, well, uh, you know, is that all you're going to preach on this week? What did you call me here for? Isn't that what we call this, a revival? Thank you. All right. I want you to listen to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Now you and I both know he's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, right? All right. Now that prophecy was fulfilled when he sent Jesus to die for our sins. And if that be the case, we should never need revival. If we really believe that, if we really are serving God the way that we ought to, revival ought not be something we'd have to ever call for. We ought to stay in that state of mind that state of heart. We, we ought, we ought to, to not ever drift away from that. And you say, well, what is revival anyway, Brother John? I keep hearing about it. You know, I don't know if they would recall or not, but I remember there's a young lady here tonight. I won't call her name, but she asked me one night after a, a service here many years ago, she stood right there and she looked up at me and she said, I'm a little, no, we're a little confused, I think is the way she placed that. And she said, what is revival? I thought we'd been in revival here. 
I'm not sure I know what revival is. And you know what? That wasn't a silly question at all. That's something that sometimes people just really misinterpret what it is. So many times in Baptist churches, it's come to be known as, as when you call a speaker and, and sometimes call singers and you get together to do something that you haven't done in quite some time and used to. It's a big deal. Do you, I don't think you remember, Jake. You're not old enough to shave yet. Has to be why you're not shaving. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> I remember, I love you, son. <laughs> I, I remember a, a, a time when revival was special nights. Do you remember that? Pack a pew night. How many of you have ever been involved in a pack a pew night? I had somebody come to revival one time, had three solid pews full of people. I think that was the all-time prize. Man, they, were, they worked and worked and worked for a pack of pews. We used to have youth night. We used to have seniors night. We used to have old-fashioned night. How many of you ever remember old-fashioned night? That's when everybody showed up with overalls and white shirts. Amen? That my wife and I, that's a kind of a private joke there between us. And she's going to be real surprised when I show up here this week, my overalls and my white shirt. Yeah, she's jealous when I wear my white shirt because some ladies told me I look nice. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> now, I want you, she's back here going, I can't believe you. That's all right. I want you to listen to a quote. When men in the streets are afraid to open their mouths and utter godless words, lest the judgment of God should fall. When sinners, overawed by the presence of God, tremble in the street and cry for mercy. When without special meetings and sensational advertising, the Holy Ghost sweeps across cities and towns in supernatural power and holds men in the grip of terrifying conviction. And when every shop becomes a pulpit, every heart an altar, every home a sanctuary, and people walk softly before God. This is revival. Revival is so often confused with evangelism. Heaven sent revival is not religious entertainment where crowds gather to hear outstanding preachers and musical programs. Neither is it the result of sensational advertising. In a God-sent revival, you don't spend money on advertising. People come because revival is there. Revival is an awareness of God that grips the whole community, the roadside, the taverns, as well as the church become the place where men find Christ. Here is the vast difference between our modern evangelistic campaigns and true revival. In the former, hundreds may be brought to a knowledge of Christ and churches experience seasons of blessings. But as far as the community is concerned, little impact is made. The taverns and entertainment venues are still crowded, and godlessness marches on. In revival, the Spirit of God, like a cleansing flame, sweeps through the community. Divine conviction grips people everywhere. The strongholds of the devil tremble, and many close their doors while multitudes turn to Christ.
Those words that you've just heard are the preface to Owen Murphy's book, The Hebrides Islands Revival of 1949 through 53. As far as I know, that revival was the last sweeping movement of God on the planet. I'm talking about a, a revival that was so intense that not only did it spread, but literally the things you just heard me read took place in the Hebrides Islands. Not a place you would think revival would break out. Not exactly a hotbed of, of religiosity there. But it did. And all those things did take place. Taverns closed. People cried out to God in their homes. They'd get under conviction, Jake, and, and, and literally run as hard as they could to get to a church and get in an altar and begin to pray for God to save them. Some of those folks didn't go to bed for, for days at a time, just went from one place to another to another, ministering to folks who were wanting to be saved. And all of that happened without any great intense movement on the part of people. They just convinced God to come down and begin to work in their midst. And so now that I've told you what revival really is, I'm going to try my very best to show you how we can have revival. I believe our country needs revival. There's not, I, this is not a political statement. Don't, don't take it that way at all. But we are messed up in America. We've been going that way for quite some time and we finally, through narcissistic leaders and such things as that, we have convinced ourselves that everything is okay because we get a stimulus check or, or whatever, but friend of God, news for you, it's a royal mess. And the only hope for this country, the only hope for this place that you call Hamilton County is that God would send a fire from heaven and consume every evil thing and break out in revival among God's people where people would be on their faces crying out before God, saying, God, forgive me. I'm a wretch. I need to be saved. I need to be changed. Daddies would be running home saying, forgive me, honey, for what I've done and the way I've been. They'd be talking to their children saying, please forgive me for not being the parent that I ought to be. They'd be on their faces before God saying, God, you forgive me that I have not worshipped you and praised you the way that I should have done. That's what would take place if real revival broke out here. You know, I'm pretty sure this church needs revival. I don't know anything, any secrets on anybody. I don't know any problems that are going on or anything like that. Most churches have ugly pastors. You're going to be okay on that deal. You love me back. You have to love me to go to heaven. Yes, you do. All right. I'm going to quit that one of these days. Uh, the Lord's going to convict me and I'm going to quit. But until he does, I ain't going to do it. <laughs> You know, you could ask a lot of folks what revival is and get different answers. Most of us would conjure up a vision. It would be a vision of preaching and singing and special emphasis. And others would respond that revival is what the others need. When in fact, listen to this, not knowing you need revival 
is a sure sign that you need revival. See, revival is more than the mere externals of religion. And most of what we call revival today is no more than self-satisfaction in a shallow attempt to have a corporate spiritual enhancement. That's not revival. In Jeremiah's day, people were attempting to have a revival of religion. They were centering on the externals. They were refurbishing the temple. They were paying their sacrifices. Many other things were being done to show that they were trying to revive the worship of Yahweh. Jeremiah said, this is not real revival. I'll show you what real revival is and what will happen if you don't have it. Jeremiah chapter 4 verse 1, stand with me one more time. Let's read from that and I'll try to preach to you about what real revival truly is. Jeremiah chapter 4 verse 1, reading through verse 5. If you will return, O Israel, says the Lord, Return unto me, and if you will put away your abominations out of my sight, then shall you not remove. And you shall swear the Lord lives in truth, in judgment, and in righteousness. And the nations shall bless themselves in him, and in him shall they glory. For thus says the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground, and sow not among thorns. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord and take away the foreskins of your heart, you men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my fury come forth like a fire and burn that none can quench it because of the evil of your doings. Declare you in Judah and publish in Jerusalem and say, blow you the trumpet in the land. Cry, gather together, and say, assemble yourselves, and let us go into the defensed cities. You pray with me, please. Father, I come to you asking you again tonight, not because I deserve it, but because, Lord, I truly need what I'm going to ask for. I ask you, Lord, to not leave me stand here by myself, but one time again at least. Would you please, Lord, give me words. Help me to say the things that need to be said. Help us, Lord, with this group who are here tonight to see the great need of revival. And I pray before this evening is over, we would hear folks cry out to you that we would see tears, both of sorrow and joy. I ask you, Lord, that you would look past the incompetence that's in me. And I ask you, Lord, that you would open the ears and hearts of people who listen to words that you have generated. Help me, Lord, for I stand in need. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You know, most things that are profound have simple answers to them. Most things that you look at and say, how would you ever accomplish something like this? The reason that we don't find the answer to it is because we're looking way, way, way in the wrong way. 
You see, what we need to be looking for is the simplicity of what God's Word says. We don't have to get all complex, do certain things and, and look for certain things. All we have to do is wait upon the Lord. But there's a little formula for this. And perhaps you'll listen tonight, I hope that you will, because it's contained in the text, the two of them. And the, to begin with, uh, let me make sure that you understand that real revival is rededication. Have you ever heard of folks saying, I rededicated my life to, to the Lord? Certainly. A lot of people do, and that's a good thing. If you get a little dry and a, you move away from God a little bit, it's a good idea sometimes to come back before the Lord and say, Lord, forgive me, and I want to get this right. That's a rededication. Lord, if you'll help me, I'll, I'll, I'll do better. That's rededication. So look back at that first and second verse there, and you'll see uh, where rededication is necessary. It says, if you will return. Now, what does that imply? That implies that you used to be someplace that you're not right now. Is there anybody in this place tonight that can give me a witness that you may be right now in a place that's not what you started out to be for Christ? Got a little cool. Got a, got a little drift to you. That, that means that rededication is necessary. He says, if you will return, O Israel, says the Lord, return unto me. And if you will put away your abominations out of my sight, then you shall not remove. And you shall swear, the Lord lives in truth, in judgment, in righteousness. And the nations shall bless themselves in him, and in him shall they glory. That is the formula, the beginning part of the formula for revival. To rededicate, you must reacquaint. Thank you. You must reacquaint. What does that mean? You forgot who God is? Absolutely not. I've seen people this week that I hadn't seen for a long, long time. It doesn't mean that I don't know them anymore. It doesn't mean that I don't love them anymore. But it does mean this, that sometimes I lose contact with them. Sometimes I'm not in touch like I used to be. Things happen in their lives I'm not aware of. We, we both have things going on and, and, and we look at each other and say, you know, well, you haven't changed very much or you've changed too much or, or whatever. But friend, here's what the, the, the whole thing is about. You and I have to get to a point to where we realize that the only way to rededicate ourselves to someone or something is to reacquaint ourselves with it or either subject or object, right? We've got to reacquaint. What does that mean where God is concerned? Well, let, let me share something with you. I, unless I'm really mistaken, there are people in this room right now that used to have a prayer life that was so vital that the moment you, your feet hit the floor in the morning, the first thing you were doing was trying to figure out where you could go get in the closet to pray where you could go hide away someplace and, and get, be alone with God. Now, you know what? If you've drifted away from doing something like that, that doesn't mean that you don't know God anymore. You're sure you know him. But you're, you're, you're not in the kind of relationship with him that you need to be. What you need to do is get alone with him and reacquaint with him. Let me help you a little bit right here. It's pretty easy. <laughs> this God that I'm asking you to reacquaint with is a mighty, awesome, powerful being who has created you, who has saved you, who has promised you to return and get you and take you to glory and keep you there for an eternity. I got news for you, friend. He's a great, big, wonderful God. 
and you need to reacquaint with him. Walk right up to him and say, hello, Lord. It's me again, Lord. You say, well, I'm, I, he's tired of hearing from me. No, no, no. Uh-uh. You just lost some acquaintance with him. Go back. Reacquaint yourself. Get that warm feeling in your heart again. You'll wake up in the morning saying, where's the closet? Where can I get alone with God? Where can I satisfy the hunger that's in my heart? We have to get acquainted or reacquainted, rather, with the subject of our worship, not the system of our worship. Jake, I'm sure you're like me. Most pastors are. When, when, when their folks get out and, and they don't come to church like they used to and things, we say, man, you need to come back to church. That's, that's one of the first things we say. Listen, what really needs to happen is they need to come back and get in the closet with God. They need to get back to God. Church is great. I love churches. They paid my salary 40 some odd years now. I love church. I really do love the people who make up the church. But listen carefully to me. That's not what I need to reacquaint with. Because I'll never be satisfied in the house of God, worshiping God, until I get reacquainted with God. I remember when he wrapped his arms around me and hugged me up tight and forgave me of my sins. You remember that day? Hallelujah. That is a wonderful, wonderful memory. If you can just think, if you can't think of it, something's wrong. I remember asking him into my heart, lying on a bed, paralyzed from the neck down, could not move, could not feel, told I probably would never see my kids again. I was going to die. I was going to leave this world. And you know what? God had every right to leave me right there where I was. He had every right to say, you're condemned to hell for what you've done. But instead of that, he came into a hospital room, Barnes Hospital, June the 7th, 1976, and he accosted me, Jake. He jumped on me. He pinned me down and got me out for the count. You know what? It was like a wrestling match and I had no chance. The first thing I remember about it was this warm feeling of acceptance. And it was like I had known God my whole life. Some people say my eyes were open and I saw God. And when my eyes were open, it was like, wow, God, you've been there the whole time. I, I know now what the feeling was when I was walking around and I could feel you tugging at me. I could feel my heart get warm. I could feel conviction in the middle of the night. I remember that, God. That was you, God. Best time of my life was laying on my back for seven months in the same hospital bed because every waking moment, all I could do was look up. And every time I looked up, there was a great big God reaching down to me saying, I've taken you forever. Just like a husband takes a bride, Jesus took the bride of Christ and I'm part of it. You say, boy, you are an ugly bride. Get a mirror, hot rod. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Lord for giving us the opportunity to reacquaint and not be worried about all the trappings that say that we're righteous 
when they have nothing to do with it. Listen to Isaiah. This is chapter 1, verse 13. Bring no more vain oblations. Incense is an abomination unto me. The new moons and Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies, I cannot away with. It's iniquity. Even the solemn meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feast, my soul hates. They're a trouble unto me. I'm weary to bear them. And when you spread forth your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. When you make many prayers, I won't hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash you, make you clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do well. Seek judgment, relieve the oppressed. Judge the fatherless, plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. I love this. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And if you be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured with the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. They had forgotten who the Lord was and what he had really done. They knew about him, but they didn't really know him. He had become a system, a system of religion. God is not a system. I got news for you. The word systemic is used a lot today. There's, they say systemic racism and, and systemic this and systemic that. What they ought to be saying sometimes is some religion has been turned into something that's systemic. Same thing over and over and over when all the, all the time God is saying, Come back here and reacquaint with me. Get to know me like you used to know me. Let's renew our relationship. Make it just like it was when it was brand new. How many of you fellers right here got a girlfriend sitting with her tonight? Can I see your hands, please? Your wife, I'm too, I'm talking about. That brother Gary Brzezinski, he wins a prize. He got his hand up so fast, man. It was like, wow. I never seen anybody move that fast. Let me, let me just try something a little bit different because some of you are, are not going to play this game unless I do it this way, all right? How many of you have had somebody in your life that you loved dearly and uh, you uh, maybe married them? Maybe you're engaged to them? Maybe there's someone in here don't know that you want to be engaged to them. But uh, you fit in one of these categories. Anybody here like that tonight? Okay, thank you. Thank you. Do you remember how that all started? Funny feeling, right? A little fluttering? <laughs> I got it now, but it's AFib. Sorry, hon. Little, little fluttering. All of a sudden, you just feel like, oh, if, man, Lord, if you really love me, yeah. Got it? Huh? 
And let me tell you how you react to that. Everything you think about and everything you do is to please that person. You remember, Brother Brian, when you were trying to get Stacy to go for riding that Jeep? I ain't going to tell no more. I'm just going to stop right there. But, uh, yeah. Man, this boy had some talks. You betcha. If Stacy will pay me, I'll tell her about some of them. Amen. <laughs> Where I'm going with this is pretty simple. You ought to be able to figure it out by now. You had the warm fuzzies. Love. Wow. That'd make a fella do some funny things. You ever see a teenager pull up in front of a house and go like this? Isn't that a funny thing? What makes people do that? You all know why, right? Yeah. It'll make a cowboy put up his tobacco can, chew some gum. Sorry, cowboys. I wonder how many of you remember dressing a certain way because that other person really likes to see you dressed that way. Remember that? How many of you remember standing in front of a mirror trying to change what God made so you could please another person? Huh? I've never done that, but used to out here at the hospital, they had a mirror that made me look slim when I went down the hall. And I've visited that hospital a lot of times when we didn't have anybody there, you know, just like the way it made me look. But a lot of folks just stand in front of the mirror, and they just, you know why? It's because they want to please the subject of their affection. Do you remember what happened as you went through that relationship when you started getting used to each other? I told this here years ago, but I, I'll never forget it. I was at my in-law's house. I hadn't been married very long. My wife was the youngest of the girls in that family. They were all in the kitchen with their mother, and they were all talking about the bad habits of their husbands. I heard things like, he snores. No kidding. 90% of men snore. And I, I heard things like, he leaves the toilet lid up well it goes both ways I get aggravated because I keep putting it down huh? and I listen to all of that they're just tearing up my wife never said a word we're newlyweds, newlyweds. <laughs> the wood was here I, I remember very well thinking to myself she will not enter that conversation and I remember very well when she did. <laughs> All of a sudden, this darling wife that I had in there was jumped right into the conversation and sharing with her sisters and her mother all my bad stuff. Now, she never told me about that when she was 
you know, we was courting. That's what we used to call it. What do y'all call it? Still courting? <laughs> this, this is Hamilton County. It takes a long time for things to change here. Amen. <laughs> Seriously. People start to drift and they start to see little things that irritate them and things like that. Here's, here's the deal. You may do something that irritates God, but he'll never stop loving you for it. Never. And every once in a while I see people that think that God has let them down. He's taken something from them, they believe. And all of a sudden they begin to treat God like this. And it's those folks tonight that I'm wanting to get to and, and tell you, reacquaint with God. Get to know him again. Because he's a good, good father. Amen. I love that song. Because he really is a good, good father. You know, to rededicate, you also have to reaffirm. In Jeremiah chapter 4 verse 2 it said, And you shall swear the Lord lives in truth, in judgment, and righteousness, and the nations will bless themselves in him, and in him shall they glory. They were told to swear by the Lord, acknowledge his truth, his justice, his righteousness. Not only does the world need to hear about him tonight, but we need to reaffirm our belief and our faith in him. Real revival is also reformation. I'm not talking about the kind that happened with Martin Luther. In Jeremiah 4, 3 and 4 we hear this. For thus says the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground and sow not among thorns. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Take away the foreskins of your heart, you men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Lest my fury come forth like fire and burn that none can quench it because of the evil of your doings. Now here's what we have to do. In order to have real revival, we have to get rid of what offends God. The abominations. Assyria had imposed its gods on Israel. And they had accepted these perversions. Like having prostitutes in the temple. Were you aware that at one time Israel had prostitutes in the temple? That's going a long ways away from God. Amen? They were getting rid of the things that they thought most offended God. But they wanted to keep some of them. God not only said, get it out of my sight, but he said, don't you dare go back to it. Now, in order to really reform, we have to change to something better. Did you notice that little passage where he said, break up your fallow ground? Now, I know there's a lot of farmers in this room tonight, and you may know this, but just humor me because there's some other folks that don't. Here's what fallow ground meant in that connotation. It meant that still in this day and time, you can see a very good example of it if you go to Israel, go to the right places, you'll see out there somebody plowing with an animal, with one, what do they call them, bottom plow, I guess you might say. Really, it's a big sharp stick sticking in the ground. But what they do is they go down a field where they planted the last year and they'll just tear that back up again and they go along and they put the seed in that. Then they jump over so many inches and they'll go down another one like that, but they never touch the ground between the rows. 
You know what happens? All the thorns that grew up there the year before and the year before dropped their seeds. All the weeds that were harmful begin to choke out the crops. When he said, break up your fallow ground, he was saying, plow between your rows. Turn it all up, because that's all hard as concrete. If you look up the word for fallow, you'll, mean, you'll, I mean, you'll find the meaning is concretely. He said, break that up. Don't just, don't just do these little rows this wide and leave this much between them, because that that's between them is just going to sprout again, choke everything out. You're not going to have a good harvest. Now, friend, I want you to know what I'm telling you right now applies spiritually. If you're going to have revival, you have to get rid of the things that are fallow, things that are hard, things that... that keep bringing stuff up that shouldn't come up. Instead, you're going to have to plant and make it in soft ground. You can't come to God with a hardness in your heart and expect God to do something for you. What you've got to do is make it soft. You've got to tenderize it. You've got to come before God and say, here it is, God. I've beat it up. I've run a disc and a harrow over it. I've made sure that it's soft. Now come on, God. Fill this up with the fruit that you intend for me to have. You think Isaiah and Jeremiah didn't have it right? Sometimes we look at that sort of stuff and we don't know what they're talking about. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord? Take away the, the, the foreskins of your heart? He's saying take away anything that hides. Don't, don't, don't leave anything that, 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 that will let you hide. You say, is that a stretch? No, it's not. That's exactly what he's saying. You must reform and get rid of what offends God. Change to something better. And if you really want to reform, you have to expose yourself to the Lord. Lastly, how many of you think that's some of the sweetest words you ever heard a preacher say? Lastly, don't you think it's too sweet? It's all a lie. Real revival is restoration. You must restore. You cannot restore until you have reconciled. Are we on the right page? We have to return to God, cease to be at odds with Him. We cannot reconcile with God until we have reconciled with the brethren. Now listen up. This gets tough. If I ask tonight, is there anybody here holding a grudge? I doubt if I would have a hand go up. But if the truth were told, there'd be hands go up all over this place. God will not send revival where there's a grudge. I know of none in this place. I'm, I'm, I'm shooting from the hip right now, but I really believe that I got the, the shells for the gun from God. Got to drop it. Got to forgive it. Got to go before God and say, God, I'm ready right now to be restored. And to be restored, I cannot have something in my heart that I ought not have towards someone else. You say, well, if I'd known that was revival, I wouldn't have come. 
That's why we didn't tell you. Listen to me carefully. We cannot reconcile with God until we have reconciled with each other. And we cannot be restored until we have a renewed spirit. A renewed spirit will start to recognize God's blessings again. How many of you are blessed? Now remember, I know most of you. You're some of the most blessed people I ever saw in my life. I said that, I meant that, you really are. How many folks do you think really recognize his blessings? You hung up on something you didn't get, some problem that came into your life, but oh, what a blessing God has given you. How many of you are going to go home to a nice, warm, or cool, rather, tonight place? Sure. Plenty of food? Stock market dropped 900 points today. Man, you, you live in the middle of farm country. You can steal enough corn and, and, and cows to make it for a long time. Huh? Don't do that. <laughs> Probably been done before, amen? Where you live, that's a blessing. You'll travel around this country and go to some of the cities. I guarantee you, you're being blessed like you would not imagine. Your kids in your schools here, they have privileges that they don't have in other schools. You can gather a bunch of kids around the flagpole here and pray. We'll try that in Portland, Oregon. Antifa will come burn you up. How about your church? Is that a blessing? Now, you forget every bad thing I've said about Jacob Gray so far. I'll make a new list tomorrow night. But just forget about what I've said because you, you've got a blessing sitting right there. He's going to come do a revival for me here right, right away in my church. Do you know why? Because I want them to see what God can do. You got a heavy load ahead of you, son. I built you up pretty high. They think you can walk on water. I know you can barely float, but they don't know that. <laughs> you know, it's easy to forget your blessings. I get calls every month. You know any preachers, Brother John? Is there somebody we could call to be our pastor? You know how hard it is to find a pastor right now, one who preaches the word, preaches the truth? It's very hard. Last year, a church, a larger church, called me and said, Would you mind helping us in calling a pastor? They knew about him. I said, I'd be glad to try to help you. I won't do it for you, but I'll, I'll help you. I went down and, and talked to those folks, and, and they said, I want you to see what we've got. And they pushed a pile of file folders over toward me. 
You know what was in them? Resumes. Not one or two. Hundreds of resumes. Most of them with doctor in front of their name, Brother Jake. And I said, how many of these people have you listened to? Several. How many of them can preach? None. That doesn't mean that all doctors can't do that. I'm just telling you that's what's out there right now. Or they're telling their people it's okay for you to drink socially. Or it's okay for you to marry your partner. That went over like a lead balloon. Don't you tell me that, Jake. Which one is it? <laughs> I'm kidding. You know I am. You need to ask God tonight for a renewed spirit, church. You never have revival without it. It'll help you recognize his blessings. It'll help you to give God the glory he deserves. You're so blessed. <laughs> Sherry and I started to pull up here the other day. It's been just a year since we were here, but but you know, for, for ten years we've been away from here as as a pastor and pastor's wife, and and uh you kind of forget things after a while. And we we turned and and we looked up here on this hill and saw what God has given you all. I know some of you worked very hard, put a lot of money into it, and blood, sweat, and tears. But there's not, to my knowledge, there's not another rural church, not only in Illinois, but in the Midwest, that, that, that has any appearance on the outside like this one. But friend, the thing that I love about this place is there's another appearance that God is looking at. And it's the hearts of many people. I know some of those hearts. And you are blessed to be a part of that. And to have revival, this is what must take place. You must restore not just the, the knowledge that you're that blessed, but you must restore your dependence upon God and say to God, listen, it's very simple, just four words. Do it again, God. Do it again. Today, as you have been listening to this sermon, maybe you have been thinking, the Holy Spirit's been working, that I'd like to know more about Jesus. I'm not sure if I've ever been saved. Please reach out and contact us. We would love to share the gospel with you, pray with you with whatever's going on in your life. Or maybe you are a believer, but yet you've got some spiritual battles that you've just not been able to conquer. We'd love to join you in that battle. So please, reach out to us. We would love and are waiting to hear from you. May God richly bless you in Jesus' name.